Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Good morning, my beautiful people. You are back with me, Jordan, here for the third edition of Proportunity Knocks. As you all know by now, after the first two, we've got an exciting speaker lined up. Uh, Mr. Greg Fomark here. He is a specialist in evictions. And I think that it's a growing problem in South Africa that uh, many people don't really understand fully. And in truth, I believe we all should. I mean, everyone has potential to own a property someday or even be a tenant themselves and find themselves in these situations. So right after this, we'll be joined by Greg. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, everyone. Greg for Mark. He's with us here in studio. Morning, Greg. Morning, Jordan. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, that's very good to hear. Sunday morning, end of the week. And uh, I suppose uh, you you need to warm up your vocal cords because things are about to get very verbal and very busy. So before we obviously jump into things, let's uh, share with everyone exactly what you do, who you represent, and uh, let's let's start with that. Sure. I represent mainly private uh, landowners, property owners, individuals, corporates, large corporates, uh, people who own many properties, people who own one. And what my firm does is a lot of property-related matters, including, in my instance, evictions, which I've done for a long time. I cut my teeth mostly in the inner city, in the old days, yeah. representing the Joburg City Council. So there were, in the early 2000s, there were a, a large number of, of, uh, bad buildings in town, mm-hmm. uh, which I evicted for the, for the council. And I've been doing that for private owners ever since. Wow. That sounds like it must be a really, really difficult job. I suppose you've probably found yourself in some seriously morally troubling situations, I suppose. But, yeah, Greg, and how are oh, yeah. Yes, sorry about that. Carry on. Sorry, forgive me. Forgive me, Jordan. No, um, no problem. Yes, in the early days, but in, in the last 10, 12 years, the, the law has evolved so that if, if someone is genuinely poor, yeah. genuinely poor and would be homeless, but for, but for that eviction, uh, sorry, but, but for that, that accommodation, mm-hmm. the state have to provide. I'm sure we'll talk about it during the course of the day. It mostly won't apply to your listeners, but it certainly eased my troubled conscience, put yes. it that way. Okay. Well, I mean, I can only assume that if it's the state's responsibility for these poor individuals that nothing will ever get done. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. okay. Well, moving on, moving on. If you could maybe provide us with a little bit of insight, of course, we are a Johannesburg, excuse me, a Johannesburg based program. Um, so perhaps you can give us an idea of, you know, specific areas that are more likely to be faced with an eviction situation or where you're seeing them more commonly. Interestingly, I'd say until Seven, eight years ago, it was probably predominantly Joburg in the city and, and surrounds. Yeah. There have always been problems in every suburb. Mm-hmm. Ironically, one of the, one of the most regular areas would be the richer areas like Hyde Park, where I think you, you talk about very high rentals mm-hmm. and possibly people run into them being a little bit ambitious. So I wouldn't say if I if I'm thinking through suburbs now, I would I wouldn't say that any any suburb is particularly worse than any other. Okay. In the last four or five years, maybe blocks of flats in in the south, Rosettenville, La Rochelle, yeah. have been have been problematic for the first time. So we've had quite a bit of quite a bit of those suburbs, but those again are blocks of flats. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about houses. Your, with, re, with, uh, with reference to your listeners, I don't think any, any one suburb or group of suburbs is, is any worse than another. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, one would have to assume given the, you know, ver- various spread of demographics and living situations in the country that there might be a, you know, prevalent area or such and such. Sure. 
But I mean, not really. Yeah, it seems so, which is quite, I don't know if it's worrying or, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it, forgive me, I think it's probably not worrying. Yeah. Um, because, you know, no one is particularly vulnerable. If we're talking to your, to your listeners yeah. as, as property owners, no one is particularly vulnerable, but no one is immune either. <laughs> I, suppo- I suppose on the other side of the coin, though, a landlord might be more vulnerable because you almost don't know what you're going to get, no matter where you are. You could be in Hyde Park, you could be in, uh, you know, a smaller place, a location, yes. wherever that, wherever you may be. So I suppose that provides Good a few, control. Yeah, yeah. I mean, myself as Good an agent. Control. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Dealing with credit checks, background checks. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff, but we'll get into that. Um, sure. so, so again, I mean, once this, once the eviction process unfolds, you know, the case has been opened or, you know, the landlord has, has begun proceedings. What sort of, what processes exactly would, would you be involved in or would generally need to be followed in order to successfully and legally evict a tenant for reasons such as a default on payment or negligence of the property or otherwise? On the assumption that someone isn't paying their rent and that's why you're looking to evict them. You'd first need to give them a breach letter, Mm -hmm. placing them in breach of their lease. Uh, Depending on the nature of the parties, it may be a seven-day breach period or if the um, Consumer Protection Act applies, which it often doesn't in individual scenarios, then 20 days notice. If the person doesn't pay, then one terminates the lease and requires them to leave the property. Some people say you've got to give them further time to leave, but you don't. Mm -hmm. If you terminate the lease, they must get out right away. Okay. And then Then, if they still don't go, yes, each of these processes are obviously really designed to, to prompt rent payment. Mm -hmm. Um, So if rent payment still doesn't ensue, then one serves what's called a notice of motion. Mm -hmm. It's the application equivalent of a summons. And it basically says, my name is Joe Soap. I own this property. Your name is Jim Bloggs. You're in occupation. I don't want you there. Go. Um, That's really the effect of it. If if they don't oppose the application, which they had liberty to do, Mm -hmm. you will then have to bring a second application. It's again... um, what they call ex parte, so it's not served on the other party, but basically it approves a notice that says, Mr. Bloggs, you've got to be out of my property. I'm going to be in court on date X, and you have to come along if you want to oppose it and tell the court your personal circumstances, etc., etc. Then the matter is set down in court. If it remains unopposed, in most instances, the judge will just give you a, an order, will generally in Joburg, give the occupier a month to vacate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if they don't vacate after a month, the sheriff of the court can uh, literally physically evict them. Wow. Wow. That is, uh, that's quite interesting. I mean, most people who are in the property industry do know that the tenants tend to be protected more so by the general laws. But I mean, I suppose by what you've described, it's almost like an appeal in the event that you, you know, are in that situation. Uh, which which court is actually responsible for dealing with these cases, the High Court Constitutional? Well, the any court, uh, yeah. the magistrate's court okay. can and do do evictions. Okay. Um, I find the magistrate's courts very slow. Yeah. Um, so generally don't, uh, don't go to the magistrate's court. I mostly go to the High Court. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, in general terms, you won't get an appeal. Sometimes, maybe with a, a large-scale building eviction where uh, maybe you're dealing with a rental boycott or something ugly like that, often there will be attempts to appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got our own countermeasures to to succeed and prevent that happening. Um and they can get as far as the constitutional court, but very, very, very seldom. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that would be an ultra rare occasion. Very much. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And I mean, I know I asked you earlier if there were specific areas whereby 
evictions were taking place more commonly. But let me ask you this. What type of property, as in commercial, agricultural, residential, where do you most commonly find these these sort of instances taking place? Is there a, a trend or, you know, anything there? That's a, that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, in the inner city, and I think it's probably true of the southern suburbs as well, a property that's in bad condition, a property that's where there isn't a relationship between the landlord and the tenant is going to be more vulnerable. So, you know, if people, let's say it's a small block of flats in Rosettenville, six blocks of, six flats in a block, but the condition is poor. It's a, it's a slumlording situation, basically. Wow. Uh, what I found funny enough, funny enough over the pandemic was those slumlords who yeah. sort of ma- managed and maintained their, you know, rather, rather grubby businesses, mm. uh, prior to the pandemic, they took serious pace because there was no loyalty. But my clients who, who gave a good product, were accessible to their tenants. Most of those, all of those, in fact, uh, were rewarded by tenants who tried their best to pay their rents and ultimately did pay their rents. So if you're talking about type of, I think, I don't think that was your, your question. Um, we'll get to that in a sec, but the, if you have a good relationship with your tenant, if you look after your tenant, if you're, if you, um, Fulfill your obligations. The prospect of uh, non-payment is much lower than if than if you sort of you know in a maybe exploitative arrangement with your your tenant. No, exactly. Um, Your question, I suppose, was of flats or houses. We get relatively few houses. Very few, relatively few suburban houses. One does get them because people fall on hard times. Uh, and then what you often find in the suburbs, it's people who've, um, who's, who's, you know, whose lives have collapsed in a way. Their, their businesses have gone under. They haven't got any money. Lost the job. The, the banks have taken everything. Yeah. They have nowhere to go or they're just playing cross. Yeah. Um, so they dig their heels in. And because they've already had a few years of fights with the banks, they're, uh, you know, they're quite, they're quite wise yeah. in the, you know, in, in how they deal with court process. Yeah. I would say that happens in the suburbs quite regularly, mm-hmm. that scenario. Okay. In other words, they're not, they, they haven't not paid you because they, you know, they're upset with you as your landlord, but they, as their landlord, but they the are, they're simply region. out of money, out of yeah. options, yeah. bitter and twisted and yeah. generally you know, looking to, looking to dig their heels in. Sure. And I suppose otherwise, like you, otherwise the most, yeah. sorry, Jordan. No, 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 carry on. I was just going to say, otherwise the most regular thing is, is flats, yeah. uh, um, apartments, you know, the, the rental demographic who are maybe more vulnerable to economic fluctuations and we're yeah. in a bad economy at the moment. Of so, you know, there's, uh, People are suffering. People are taking pace. Yeah. Also, um, administered costs, uh, electricity, water, things like that, that are going up at sometimes tens of percent mm. uh, percentage points a year yeah. that people can't afford and blame the landlord. Yeah, no, I, sp- I, I hear you there. I suppose, like you say, I mean, the maintenance of a relationship or a positive relationship between the landlord and the tenant is incredibly beneficial for both parties. I mean, of course, there's laws and, you know, situations that protect either side, but ultimately the the agreement itself is between the tenant and the landlord. So if you are in a position where you have a fantastic relationship, an honest, open relationship, I suppose it might give you a little bit of leeway in the event you lose your job or, you know, something happens. Very much so. Yeah, I suppose that's a very important factor to consider. And that cuts both ways, obviously. Yes, exactly. So, guys, be friends with your landlords. Come on. Be friends with your tenants. Be friends with your landlords. Everyone's happy. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's very interesting to hear all these things. I mean, I the next topic I want to discuss with you is actually based on an interview I had uh a couple of weeks back with a lovely lady named Angela Rivers. 
she mentioned that especially in the you know central areas more into the townships and whatnot that a concept called building hijacking is becoming a problem uh, in terms of squatters and you know gangsters and thugs and all sorts of criminals and whatnot basically taking over buildings ruining the infrastructure almost closing the landlords out to the point where it's it's a fortress and it's almost impregnable i mean what can you do in a situation where 50 unsolicited gangsters were to move into your small building whereby you've got hundreds of you know lower income tenants living there what can one do yeah look jordan that's my special subject i suppose um you know the last 21 22 years that's been my my sort of specialist job if i can put it like that look let me just say I've heard the suggestion that it's increasing. It's what we used to call a building hijacking in the early 2000s was very different from what, what we call it now. In other words, in the early 2000s, you had the violent takeover. Yeah. You had strangers or, or random people coming in with a gun and saying, right, I am now in charge of this building. Jeez. Now that, that was enabled by the steep inner city decline in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, inner city buildings were abandoned. Um, capital flight they referred to where people moved businesses to Santa and left the inner city um, empty, untenanted, etc., etc. So you you got these armed, literally armed takeovers of, of buildings. And, uh, and I suggest to your to your listeners that they watch a movie called Jerusalem, which was set around then and it is about inner city hijacks and it's very, very um accurate. Wow. Um, it's a scary recent times we're dealing more and there was probably an uptick of this over over COVID. We're dealing more with rental boycotts. Let's call them enhanced rental boycotts. So in other words they are technically building hijackings because somebody wants to take over your building. And they generally manifest as follows. A, a group of people or a strong individual decides, hang on, I, uh, I, w- I wouldn't mind collecting rent here. And generally it starts with a denial of ownership. You know what, Greg? You don't own this building. You, we, <laughs> we suspect that you acquired it illegally. You, you don't own it. Um, until you prove ownership to our satisfaction, um, we are going to, we're going to put our, we're going to put our rent in a, in a trust account. We're going to, we're going to take our rent and we will pay for cleaners and we will pay for guarding, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and so they always start like that every single time. And it seems legitimate then, and seems legit. There's a, there's a basic, there's a basic premise of legitimacy. Because even even crooks like to be able to pretend that they are not crooks, you know. Of so that's the whole. The, um, that's the whole the point of being a crook, I suppose. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, they, and then what happens is, very soon thereafter, the lure of this free money. Some one of those one of those original gang committee, whatever you want to call it, starts taking the money, <clears throat> and then using that money to fight you in court. Those are the ones that end up in in the in the sort of higher courts or they, they attempt to appeal because they're trying to protect their illegal source of income. And the the point being that you can collect rent in a building, but these these guys, these hijackers don't maintain the building, don't spend any money on it at all. And as you know better than anyone, Jordan, the moment you don't start the, the moment you stop maintaining a building, it starts decaying, which is why you had not, you don't have so many now, but why you had all those terrible bad buildings, decayed buildings in yeah. town because they require constant maintenance. Yes, exactly. And I'm sure, but, I mean, it, you it, know, they, it ruins the entire property as a whole. I mean, even if you end up getting the does. squatters out, they've destroyed the entire it building. Does. It does. What I've noticed in the last few months is attacks on social housing complexes. Social housing is a is a is a it's not subsidized rental, but there's a subsidy that's given to the person constructing the building. Uh, and because 
their construction costs are lower, they can charge a lower rental. And the, <clears throat> it, it's for people in, it used to be lower income brackets, but it's actually quite, it's from, from about 1,800 rand a month combined family income all the way up to, I think, 22,500 now. So it's not low income, but yeah. it's, it's people who will benefit from yeah. social housing, as they call it. Um, yeah. And the problem is structurally, in some instances, you're dealing with, with poorer people mm-hmm. who are more vulnerable to economic uh, vicissitudes and sometimes more amenable to rent boycott talk. So I've seen three major housing, social housing complexes taken over in the last, in the last few months. That is a new thing. It almost, almost gives you like the chills down your spine. I mean, who would, who would want to get involved and invest in, in a a property or a commercial idea at this point? I mean, it's, it's frightening. It is really frightening. That's exactly the problem. It's, uh, you know, who would invest when the risks are so high? Well, okay, sorry. They're not so high. That's, that's probably an overstatement, but, but it, it does, it does scare away investors. And as, yeah. as we'll probably talk about, the, the system is very pro-tenant. Exactly. And not very pro Exactly. Exactly. So that's exactly what I would love to get into you in terms of what rights these guys would have. I mean, even if you were a squatter, so, Greg, right after this, we'll be back and we'll have that chat. Yeah. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back after that brief intermission. I missed you all terribly. <laughs> With me, as I said earlier, Greg Mark, eviction specialist. We've been chatting about the, you know, eviction, well, not eviction crisis, but eviction processes in South Africa, you know, building hijacking, the level of evictions taking place, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, as we briefly discussed earlier, there is an overwhelming level of favor in terms of the legislation that protects the tenant, to, even if they're in a squatting or a defaulted position. So can you possibly explain to us what rights these guys have, even as a squatter? If you're a squatter officially, what rights do you have that protect you? The main, the main right is you have a right not to be evicted without, without a court order. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could, you can imagine the, uh, the prevention of illegal eviction from and unlawful occupation of land act came in in the late nineties as the, the legislation designed to protect squatters. Um, now you can hear from the the title prevention from illegal eviction from so before they deal with the rights of the owner they're dealing with the rights of the of the tenant so you know it was obvious that with with our weird and and troubled history we'd we'd have had uh, a swing back which we obviously then did so the real point is you can't evict somebody without a court order which means that you have to go Sorry, they can leave. You can ask them to go, and obviously they they overwhelmingly will go. Tenants will overwhelmingly leave when you ask them to, but some won't. In which instance, you can't just chuck them out. You have to go to court, and it's yeah. in going to court that the that the sort of extra layer of of protection, and quite frankly, the the advantage that that an incumbent occupier has, because. It's a long process. It costs money. The courts are cautious about preventing homelessness. And, uh, and it's in that. And, the, and it's, you know, it's capable of manipulation. No, if you have a, a wise or cunning, um, occupier, they can manipulate it to, to score more time. You will always succeed in the end with your eviction. Yeah. But the problem is how quickly you can get it done. It's no. potentially at a minimum of a three to four month process anyway. Gee, so, that's so it's, it's really awkward. Mm, mm. Four months of no rental yeah, yeah. plus legal costs. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it really is problematic. No, um, and every time you go to court and there are at least two processes structurally built into the eviction, uh, application, as I've mentioned, 
you know, there's, there are judges who are anxious about evicting people and will put all kinds of impediments in your way. Yeah. But look, you will always succeed. It's just getting it done as fast as possible. That's the, that's the issue. Yeah. It seems like it's almost a, a programmed catch 22. I mean, <laughs> it's almost like saying, uh, someone comes to the bank, lends money, you know, says, cool, I'm going to pay it back. Then whatever happens, they lose their job. And then all of a sudden it's, oh no, you don't have to pay the money back. You don't have a job. So it's understandable. Like, how does this even work? <laughs> that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and unfortunately, the owners, you know, the owners aren't rich corporates necessarily. Most owners are little old ladies looking to supplement their income or their, their pension by letting out the cottage in their garden. Yes. They need that money. Of course. They need that money. They can't do without it. No, you know, exactly. it's not, you know, the, the overwhelming number of people that, that let pro- property to others are just plain individuals who are who need that rent, and they not only do they need that rent, but they're paying often they're paying a bond on that property. Yeah, and so rates and their costs, their margins are tiny, and uh, and yet they have to endure a, a, a months long process and extra costs. It's uh, it's, it's, it's it's very miserable. Gee, so it's 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 scary. I mean, oh, I think I'm almost thankful I'm not a property owner yet. <laughs> no, well, let let me just say, no, Jordan. Let me just say though that for all the fact that virtually every file in my office is an eviction file, I'm still an absolute believer in property as an investment class. Yes. So you know, we t- I see things when they go bad. No, you know? of course, of- but it's a it's a tiny fraction. It's not a. It, there is no epidemic of, no, exactly. of, of defaulting. Overwhelmingly people pay their rent month after month, live happily, and, and it's fine. So we are talking about the, the unfortunate fraction of a percent that do go bad. Yes. And I suppose there is an element of potential negligence on the side of the landlord because, I mean, speaking as an agent myself, I've done my fair share of rentals. And from what I've seen, it's difficult to pick up, but once you get an eye for it, it becomes a little simpler. But there's people who are out there creating fake pay slips with employee numbers, company numbers, company names, yep. da, 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 fake background checks, oh, not background checks, but false documentation, false referrals from old tenants. I mean, it's, it's so, so critical to be as tight as you can when doing a credit and background check. It really is. But I wanted to ask you, in the event that a tenant or a prospect were to submit an application, the credit check's approved, everything's okay, is there, obviously, I mean, the owner owns the property and it's his ultimate decision, but is there a, a, a position whereby a landlord can take it upon himself to say, mm, this guy gives me a little bit of a sort of sus vibe, I'm just, I'm going to reject him? You mean reject the application? Yes. So the application's successful, the credit check's done, balances are there, payments are there, but for whatever reason, the landlord just decides to himself, I don't feel comfortable with this person. That's his good right. My own, my own view is the, the landlord tenant relationship is a, is an intimate one, especially if it's a, if it's, you know, if it's in your own investment property or, or maybe a cottage in your garden. You know, if it's a large corporate, it's a different story. But if you, if you have, if you have a tenant that you, maybe a single or two or three tenants and you get a, you get a bad vibe from one of them, I, you, you must reject it because as, as far as I'm concerned, that, that contract of lease is, as I say, quite, quite intimate. It's yes. quite a, it's quite a relationship. And, and, you know, just to get back to your point, I think the role of the agent has become much enhanced. Yeah. It's not like 20 years ago, if it ever was like that 20 years ago, where, you know, it was, it was fine. You were just really processing paper. Yeah. But I think the, the, the credit check is so key now because as you say, there are people who will falsify all of those documents that they, they either desperate and falsify their documents, which is a problem in itself. Or they are crooked and they are looking to the, 
the, the, the ones who never pay rent are those ones who falsified the documents. They yes. come into your property, eyes wide open, never intending to pay you a cent. No, of course. And they know all the tricks, and those are the ones that try and fight you to delay their, their occupation. We yeah. call them professional debtors. Yeah. Um, they know the tricks, they do it on purpose. Yeah. But yes, uh, if your, if your question was, do we, can you reject them even though they pass? Look, one can't do it on basis of race or gender yes, or something like that. If there's yes. any sense, oh, I don't want to, you know, I, d- I don't want a, a, a white man in this building. You, you can't do that. But yeah. because that would be, that would be impermissible. Um, yes. But, uh, but one, one could say but, we, I'm not comfortable with five children living in my place, ruining it. That yeah. Most certainly yeah. or a dog or a parrot yes. or whatever the case may be yes. or, or simply. I met this person and they, I didn't like the look of them. I mean, as long as they, as long as the look you don't like is not a, is not discriminatory, um, you know, discriminatory. Yeah. You know, if let's, let's, let's use the hypothetical white male as if you, if you reject one white male because you don't like the look of him, but then you let to, a, to another white male that you, that you like. Then, you know, that's clearly not descript. I mean, I'm using a ludicrous example to make yes, the point, of course, but, of course. you know, you're clearly not acting in a discriminatory fashion. You know, we hear stories of, um, hotels doing this, um, for example, which is, you know, it's ridiculous. We don't, we, we all, we all disapprove of that, but no, I think as long as, as long as you're not discriminating on against a, a class of person, a type of person, but rather, you just don't fancy an individual. That's quite legit. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting, I suppose. I mean, it takes a bit of a gut feel, I suppose, at the end of the day. But, I mean, I suppose I so. suppose the best way, well, from what I've seen with my clients, the best way to learn a lesson is to have it happen to you. But, I mean, hopefully You're it never school, happens. You're tough school, Jordan. No, hopefully it <laughs> never happens to anyone. But once you once it happens to you once, I can almost assure you ain't going to let it happen again. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so then another question. Now, I know evictions are one thing and they're a difficult, sticky, complicated process in favor of the tenant. But now let me ask you this. I had a client recently, well, not a client, but a a, a property whereby a tenant was put in there. Effectively, this gentleman defaulted on rental for X amount of months. All right. He then abandoned the property with all of his all his belongings, thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds of appliances. Mm. Poor guy even left his dog there. His poor little puppy. Mm. Myself and my colleague <clears> had to <throat> take it to the SPCA and help it and save it. Yeah. I mean, what can one do? Sorry for the, the, the sad animal stories, guys. But what, <laughs> what can one do in the event that were, someone were to abandon the rental to the point where it's untraceable? They gave you a fake ID. You didn't know. Da, 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 the guy's fled. What can you do? But was that one a fake? Or was he leaving things there in the hope of keeping a toe in the pool? No. So effectively, the credit check was passed. Background check was great. He gave us insight into the company. That, in fact, it wasn't actually my company that put him in there, but we're now responsible for finding a replacement. Mm. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, effectively, he seemed like a decent guy and whatnot. Stayed there. All was, all was good. And when I say this gentleman had hundreds of thousands of rands worth of excessively luxury items in his house, all just abandoned. I mean, yeah. is there like an insurance in place or some form of a cover that the landlord can take in the event that this were to happen? There, there are products of that nature. I don't know them well because those that use them go to specific attorneys as part of that uh, process. In effect, it's an eviction insurance. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know... I think there is also insurance to cover, to cover missing rent. But I've never gone into it in any detail. I do have a client who's in the business of letting out properties, an individual, Mm -hmm. and he did indicate that it is quite expensive. So it is available, but I'm not sure if it's uh, financially viable. And certainly my, my client, longstanding client, friend of mine now, has has not done it for reason that he he regards it as too pricey for the, the risk benefit. reward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know, with the what what I find from time to time is people abandon 
abandon a flat, for example, and um, but they they leave stuff there in the hope of keeping it available to them still in the future. So so it's kind of a it's kind of a strategic abandonment. I, I don't live there anymore, but I've left just enough stuff there in the hope that they're not going to lock me out of that place. Yeah. And it's quite a fine, quite a fine line. What, what we generally do is do a, um, is do a letter to this person at what, at whatever email or even WhatsApp address that we have for them yeah. and say, guy, you vacate, you abandoned. In other words, we, we use the, we tell them specifically that all evidence is that you've abandoned this place and that if you haven't removed your stuff within 48 hours, a week, whatever the case may be, we will, we'll put it into storage and we'll, you know, we'll sell it to defray expenses. Yes, now, that's you can't exactly simply what's sell happening. it. You'll need a, you'll need a judgment in order to do so. But you know, you can, you can, you can, Get a judgment relatively quickly for, for a rear rental. Mm-hmm. Because what you, the biggest risk to you is that the person arrives back and says, Hey, you have now evicted me without a court order. You know, I'm laying a criminal charge against you. So you need to insulate yourself against that accusation. Yes. And you do that by, by contacting the guy by whatever means you have text message, WhatsApp, email, letter pinned to the front door. That unless unless you've abandoned it, take your stuff, or we're going to empty the flat. I see. Now, let me build on this because I am a man who loves to create excessive hypothetical situations <laughs> <laughs> in order to uncover what would happen in the one percent chance of it happening. Now, building on abandonment, your tenants there signs a two-year lease. It's a twenty grand a month rental. Pays his first three months. Fourth month comes, doesn't pay. You send him his letter, da, da, da. fifth month comes, doesn't pay, six month comes, disappears. Okay? Off the face of the earth, he's in Narnia, he's in Hogwarts, he's somewhere, you don't know where he is. Okay? Now he, he decides one day he's six months behind on the rent, he has no one's gotten hold of him, no one's found him, he decides to just come back. He arrives back at the house, knocks on the door and says, Hey, I'm back, how you doing? And he says, oh, no, sorry, I haven't paid you on the rent. Da, 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 da. I was just in Dubai. And what, da, 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 da. what do you do? But what have you done in the interim? I, I, I in, raise in your interim, you, with the counter. <laughs> in the interim, you've sent letters. You've asked him where he is. You've said, I can't get hold of you. I can't find you. You haven't been at the house. You haven't paid rental. You've got all the processes involved. An eviction specialist like yourself. You've done all the due diligence. Have you, say, have you removed the stuff from the property? Yeah, let's just say, for example, you've removed okay. the stuff from the property. No, no. Then, then what you do is you say, "I'm sorry, sir, but you have repudiated you repudiated your your agreement of lease by disappearing for three months, and it no longer exists. We accept. We have accepted your repudiation. There is no lease. Thank you and good luck." Interesting. And so, in the event that the you've word been, is repudiation. Yes. So, in the so event in other words, that you gave an yeah. Sorry, man. He gave you, he gave an unequivocal indication that he had no intention of being bound by the terms of the lease. Yes. Also, in not being there, he didn't even give an intention that you be bound by the terms of your, your of the lease to to offer him accommodation because he wasn't there. But that's irrelevant. He repudiated the lease. It is over. You don't even have to do any legal process because yeah. those circumstances amount to a repudiation. Didn't pay. Disappeared. Repudiation. Okay. Thank you, nurse. Good night. I'm going to raise our hypothetical one more level. Just when you awesome. thought it couldn't get worse. Okay. <laughs> You're in that exact situation. You've been repudiated below the level of what they owe you. Okay. They owe you 80 grand. They left 50 grand's worth of stuff. Followed due diligence. Got repudiated for 50 grand. They come back. What? What happens now with that balance since the lease is now terminated? Have you sacrificed that or do you have a claim to try and get it back? So, so of the 80 grand, are you saying that you were able to recover 50? Yes, you were able to recover 50. You, you followed the process of an abandoned rental. The lease was like you yes. said, terminated. The guy then comes he back. He still owes you 30. Still owes you 30. He still owes you 30. Good. Um, okay. as long, you see, with the, um, 
the old law used to be that if 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 you had a tenant and the tenant absconded, you had a you had a duty to try and replace that tenant, mitigate your damages as they called it, but they would ultimately be liable to you for the balance of the of the lease income if you were unable to mitigate your your damages. So you know it's unusual that you got maybe in a factory, an inner city factory, you might struggle to to find a new tenant. And in the in in terms of that, they would owe you the entire lease balance. Now, the Consumer Protection Act has changed that slightly. Now, it it doesn't mean that that um, the Consumer Protection Act would necessarily apply as between landlord and tenant in this in this situation. But you know, basically, uh, under the under the Consumer Protection Act, the the consumer, i.e., the tenant, can in effect, get away with a month's with a month's notice, no matter what. Hmm. So, your ability to so let's say the guy the guy disappeared on on the first of April. Good day, good day for for disappearing. And let's say you didn't really notice until May, and then in May you gave him you you sent him a, a breach letter, and then in June. So, in other words, let's say you had. Three full months of legitimate process, i.e., he owed you sixty grand. Or let let's use your let's use your hypothetical and say that by the time your legitimate process was done, including you know a, a month extra for 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 breach for notice for abandonment, he owed you eighty thousand. Um, then, in those circumstances, he would owe you. The balance of the of thirty thousand that you weren't able to to recover. Now, if you put in a new tenant at the beginning of month five, obviously that would stop your at the same rental. That would stop your damages against this fellow. If you okay. put if you put in a new tenant at the beginning of month three, let's say the beginning of month four, i.e. By then he owed you sixty grand, but now you're getting twenty grand from someone someone else. Yeah. You can't continue to nail him because you've for replaced the last twenty grand a month because you've replaced him. Yes. You might have had costs in so doing, which you could add to to what he owed you, but you know, that's the that's the line. You couldn't you couldn't and shouldn't, even in the old days, sit back and just say, Well, this guy will owe me all this rent eventually. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was about but to say, in, is in, it worthwhile looking for the new tenant or waiting to build up no, damages? It's always worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Always worthwhile looking for the new tenant. No, exactly. Definitely. Interesting, interesting. All right. So, Greg, we are going to ask you another important question, but uh, I think we need to rest the ears of our beautiful listeners for a brief moment, and we'll be back <laughs> very shortly. <laughs> Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Hello again. I love saying hello to you guys and I love knowing that you're listening and learning and um, I hope you're enjoying the show. Greg for Mark with me in studio here. We want to wrap things off with a closing question or two regarding evictions in South Africa. And uh, one question that always is on my mind is, what is the difference between a forced eviction and a legal eviction? How do they, I mean, of course, a legal eviction is due diligence, da, 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 but how, how do the general pro- application of processes differ? The, the, a legal eviction is one where you get an eviction order and you ultimately execute the order by Instructing the sheriff to remove the personal people from your, from your property. So in a way, the, um, a legal eviction in, includes ultimately a forced eviction. Now, I don't know the extent to which you might be interested in, um, let's call it illegal evictions. Let's call it, uh, you know, the Unfair. covert ops that everyone knows about. Yeah. I mean, that would um, be interesting. Yeah, so, I'd love to so, know. sure. A legal, a legal eviction includes ultimately the forceful removal of, of somebody from your, from your property. And it is legal. It's, the sheriff is authorized to do so by the, by the court. Um, most people in the suburbs don't wait till they are 
forcibly put on the street. But yeah. uh, certainly in the inner city, it will happen like that. So you'll be um, you'll get ripped out all your stuff and basically thrown onto the ro- onto the street. Correct. Wow. Correct. It's, it's not very pretty. Yeah, but I mean, but, I suppose uh, you get yourself into that situation, and you know, yeah, you've got to pay for yeah, it exactly. You. Well, yeah. let's, you know, and I mean, if you've if you've spent months and you've struggled struggled with money as a result of the rental come not coming in, it it can be quite a satisfactory event. I hate to say. Yeah. Um, but what you also what you get a lot, and the problem is because of the expense and the time that it takes to to go the legal route. You get a lot of illegal evictions where, you know, and this is the big city. Everybody knows somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, oh, we'll chuck them out. We'll, you know, we'll throw them out, et cetera, et cetera. And it does happen. And it does sometimes work, I suppose. But uh, it is illegal. Yeah. Um, you can you can end up being criminally charged yeah. for that. So I I really wouldn't recommend it. I mean, yeah. it's, there, there are many... There are many steps between, between, you know, between starting to have a tenant problem and, and ultimately evicting them, you yeah. know, with their, with their services. Um, you know, you'll, you'll need, you'll need authority to cut off yeah. their electricity and their water, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But that's a, maybe a subject for another day. No, exactly. The, um, but I think the, I think, you know, hiring some heavies to literally throw someone out, yeah. which many do. Is yeah. it's not a good idea because it exposes you as the owner to to criminal charges. And yeah. the one thing I'd never seen that um, enforced until the pandemic, because the one thing the authorities finally woke up to was that kind of conduct during the pandemic. So yeah. you know, I did find I did find that the the cops, for example, were a lot quicker to assist a tenant. Uh, that had been illegally evicted than they, than they would have than they would have before. Wow. So yeah, it's worth uh, worth avoiding. Yes, I, I suppose to conclude our very very interesting discussion, I uh, just want to tell you a story of a, a couple of clients that I've met over the years. Just a tactic for those dealing with a squatting situation and are looking to sort of find a, a peaceful yet effective way to deal with it. I had a gentleman a couple of years ago. And he had a big squatting problem. They changed the locks. They, you know, they did absolutely everything they could. And he came up with an idea whereby he hired, I think, five of, five of the hu- biggest human beings that I've ever seen in my entire life. Six foot five, like, you know, the bouncers at the clubs, like those guys. Yeah. They knock on the door. Tenants open up and they go, the guys say, Hey, how's it guys? We just spoke to the landlord. We, we're moving in with you. <laughs> we're moving in with you and there's nothing you can do about it because we're paying rent. Yeah. And then those guys yeah. just make it an absolute nightmare for them. <laughs> no, I've heard of, I've heard of that. I've heard of it working. Yeah. Um, at a, at a very technical level. Yeah. The one thing that the, the wise, uh, defaulting tenant knows is the concept of spoliation where if you cut off their water, you take off their door, you take off their roof, you know, yeah. you, they they rush to court and they will have an order within half a day to reinstate those things. Yeah. Being that which they were in possession of, you have to go to court to dispossess them of. So at a very technical level, someone may say, I'm being, I'm being dispossessed of the use and enjoyment of this facility. Yes. It'll take quite a cunning lawyer to to do that. And I've never seen I've never seen it done. But, um, you know, it's at a technical level, it's also a type of spoliation. But uh, it sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah, it's wor- it works. And it's less violent yeah. and it's less legal. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> let, I, let me just it say. It's less costly too. Let me say straight away now, thank you so, so much for coming onto the show. In truth, if I didn't have a show day after this, I'd say let's carry this conversation on at a, over a coffee. But uh, we're going to have to invite you back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I hope you're ready I for really that. I really did. Thank, Thank you, you so Jordan. much. Thank you, Greg. I'm sorry. I wish we could carry on all day. I swear I could sit here with you all day. Ah, only, only a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Greg, and we'll definitely Thank see you. you soon. Look forward.
All right. Well, thank you, Greg. Guys, that was Greg for Mark, uh, specialist in eviction. Very, very interesting chat. You can find the link to our interview on our website. It will likely be up this week. But uh, to round us off for this week, I've decided to add a, a new segment into the show, just a concluding segment, which is basically just some general property statistics and interesting information in Joburg and the rest of the country. So I've prepared a few little interesting topics here, and I hope you guys are thrilled and informed by what I'm about to tell you. So, first of all, in the eastern suburbs alone, that being, you know, your your Bedford View, Edenvale, da 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 da, da there are currently over 7,600 properties available for sale and 20, excuse me, 2,500 rentals. So over 10,000 properties are available on the current market. I mean, the east side is, the east rand's not small, but, uh, it's quite a, it's quite a large number. Uh, moving on to our second fact is, uh, very interesting. I mean, you wouldn't suspect this, but South Africa, has some of the world's most expensive residential areas, uh, some of which include, of course, Clifton and, you know, Hermanus, even Umschlange. So that's very interesting to know. Another is that approximately 3,600 homes in South Africa are valued at over a million U.S. dollars, 18 million rand or more. This was by June this year. It's incredible to think, I mean, given the spread, I mean, it's probably less than half, less than 0.1 of a percent of the total properties, but interesting to know. Another is that around 40% of these homes are in the prime eight suburbs of Cape Town, Clifton, Bantry Bay, Fresnel and Dudno, Camps Bay, Backhoven, Bishop's Court and Constantia. And, uh, wow, I mean, it's very interesting. It almost seems like Cape Town's its own country at this point. And then finally, just to wrap things up, on the rise, becoming more and more popular by the minute, it seems, are lifestyle estates, um, especially your ecologically friendly lifestyle estates with your indigenous wilderness areas and wildlife and whatnot. And uh, it's definitely interesting to note. I mean, living in an eco-estate is almost, you know, extra secure facilities, da 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 and, uh, yeah, I mean, just a little bit of interesting information. I'm sorry if you found that boring, but I found it quite interesting. And, uh, guys, that just about wraps us up for this week. Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Have a fantastic week. This is Jordan from Proportunity Knox. Cheers, guys.